Hello and welcome to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Kraus, licensed professional counselor. In today's episode, I will be having two guests, Dr. Noe Vargas and Tyler Gannett, to talk about intentional mentoring and having a growth mindset. Of course, we're not talking about financial growth with the growth mindset. We're talking about growing as a person and how mentoring can help with that. We'll be talking about all aspects of mentoring, including professional and personal. Dr. Noe Vargas and Tyler Gannett will be sharing their personal experiences with mentoring both in a professional setting and in an informal setting. Stay tuned. I think you'll really enjoy today's interview. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take time to subscribe. And if you know someone that would benefit from this podcast, please feel free to share it with them. Thank you so much. And just before we jump into the interview, let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Dr. Noe Vargas earned a doctorate degree in behavioral health from Arizona State University, a master's degree in professional counseling from Ottawa University, amongst other graduate and undergraduate degrees. Dr. Noe Vargas has various years of experience providing mentoring, coaching, counseling diverse populations, and providing clinical supervision. He has also taught various undergraduate and graduate courses, as well as leading the development of college programs and curriculum. His contact will be in the show notes, as he is currently in private practice in Phoenix, Arizona. Tyler Gannett is currently completing his teaching credential at Cal State Teach in California. He has used various roles as opportunities to cultivate mentoring, such as while being a resident assistant at Grand Canyon University, teaching and training lifeguards, academic tutoring, professional development mentoring, leading many church groups, and being a camp counselor in various camps. He continues seeking out mentors and mentees in different areas of life. Both Dr. Vargas and Tyler are working on a mentoring curriculum, which they hope to release to the public soon. All right, and now for the interview. Welcome, Dr. Noe Vargas and Tyler Gannett. Thank you for coming on The Intentional Clinician. I'm very excited today to talk about personal and professional mentoring. So I know that you both are developing a curriculum and some other uh, materials on mentoring to help people learn about it and how they can get hooked up with a mentor and much more. But I wanted to uh, hear your thoughts about mentoring. And I know we're going to dive in about how it relates to psychology and academia and your personal life. Um, But I want to first start with a little bit of story about um, maybe Tyler's story about why mentoring was valuable for him. Thank you, Paul. Um, so I, my first experience with mentoring, the biggest first experience I had was actually during high school, and it's kind of the start of my journey on being passionate about mentoring. Um, so in high school, I was looking for direction. Um, I, was, I was introduced to um, one of my teachers. He was the principal of my high school, actually, and um, I, I just had a lot of questions about life, like what's the meaning of life? What, what am I doing? What are my skills? Um, just the big questions about life. What do I believe? And um, so this guy, he he basically, um, he was my speech and debate coach. He was my um, drama teacher, uh, principal, English teacher. It was a small school. And um, he would just talk with me during lunch or during school events, and we grew a relationship over time. And um, the biggest thing with him is that he, he, um, he didn't tell me what to think or what to believe, but he would ask me questions. It was kind of like the Socratic method. 
um, or he, he would just ask me, and he would have me think critically about what I thought. So if I would say something or make an assumption, he would he would dig deep into that and ask me more questions. And um, he, he just really believed in me and really um, gave me tools to succeed in school. And um, we had a lot of good discussions. And after him, I've had many other areas of mentorship um, through church, through um, jobs, and through um, things like fitness. Like ever, ever since I, I started having mentors, I've just been seeking out mentorship in so many areas of life. And I think that um, the reason I am where I am today is a lot to do because of the people that have impacted my life and taught me a lot. That's awesome. So it sounds like for you, not only did you have a mentor in high school, but then you started seeing the benefits of having a mentor and then in other areas of pursuit, such as exercise or different jobs, you're seeking out a mentor to teach you a more in-depth way, but also just kind of reflect back. It sounds like a lot of what a mentor is doing is reflecting back and asking questions and like the Socratic method and having you think deeper about topics. Right. Yeah. I think, um, a lot of, cause now I also do a lot of mentoring myself. Um, while I still have mentors, I think it's important to be in the middle and always have mentors and be mentoring. Um, and like, um, I, I think like you were saying, um, it, it makes you think deeper about things and it grows you professionally. It, um, it pushes you past your boundaries, um, speaking out loud, processing things. And, um, especially, I mean, when, in our curriculum and we talk about how, when you find a mentor, finding someone with expertise in an area that you're seeking to grow and someone who's willing to support you and has that desire to mentor. Um, and, uh, I think you just find out a lot about yourself and you find out a lot about what you want and what your goals are. That's great. I really think um, that is a good, basically, discussion to lead us off here. I've actually learned a lot about myself and a lot about my career through mentoring um, others, but also I've had probably about four or five pivotal mentors uh, that have helped me in my career as a therapist and a clinical director and a podcast host that have really helped me. And without them, I definitely would not have been able to accomplish any or nearly as much without probably a lot more mistakes and trouble. So it was helpful for me, especially to get their expertise and wisdom downloaded into my mind with them just telling me stories, but then me asking questions and reflecting. So I can definitely identify with that. Um, Dr. Vargas, did you want to tell us any a little story about mentoring and the way you have been impacted by either being a mentee or a mentor? Yes, Paul. <clears throat> Thank you for asking that. I want to go back to my high school advisor um, because she was the first mentor, per se, that really uh, made a difference in my life. Uh, coming to this country, uh, not knowing the language, not knowing the educational system, and entering high school, she was a person who did way more than her job duty, you know, what she was supposed to do. She did, she got embedded in our well-being. She uh, went beyond, like I said, just checking out a box. But she would talk to us about different things, about encouraging us to be successful, how to be successful, listening to our complaints, because as, as students, we always complain, right? But 
that person, she's still as part of my life after so many years. I graduated back in 92, so you can do the math. <laughs> but uh, the person still, the, you know, uh, her name is Dora, and she's, um, she's the one that really uh, showed me the, the impact that another person, another human being can do in your life when they are willing to invest, because you have to be willing to invest in someone's life. Uh, this is not just, be, you know, you don't get paid per se. Uh, a lot of people who want to mentor is because they want to make a difference. And for me personally, I understand the impact that we have in another human being, the connection. And there's, I can tell you that I have mentored many, many people or, and the biggest satisfaction for me is to see them be successful as they define success, of course, and see them, like in the case of Tyler, now being a mentor himself and being, you know, exploring other areas of growth that, that I have a part of, too. So I'm just happy to be able to support other, other people. That is great. I thank you for both telling me about that. I wanted to quote one of your papers. I'm not sure if this paper is published yet. Is this paper published yet? Uh, we're in the process of looking for a publisher. Okay, so uh, you define mentoring as a supportive and collaborative process where an experienced leader shares his or her knowledge, wisdom, and life lesson or lessons with someone in need of support and guidance in order to accomplish that mentee's goal uh, or goals, and this process may include advising, coaching, and teaching. And uh, for all the listeners out there, I wanted to actually differentiate, and I know that you guys had written this as well, the differences between mentoring and counseling, just for our audience. Mentoring, of course, is much more open to personal relationships and experience um, while having healthy boundaries and more focused on explorations of a field or a targeted skill set more hands-on about forward thinking and development. Whereas counseling, uh, you cannot blend personal and professional relationship and experiences with clients. Um, there's a giant ethics book for social work. There's a giant ethics book for licensed professional counselors and psychologists, and we are not allowed to engage in any relationship outside of uh, the counseling relationship without strict parameters. So occasionally somebody will uh, attend the same, you know, club or organization, and then you have to have a, almost a contract between you about what is allowed. And in counseling, we're focusing on healing, solution-focused, working on treatment goals, positive psychology, but we're definitely trying to let that person really just kind of manage um, their own, you know, healthcare, I suppose, with our help. We're not trying to get, we don't get overly involved, whereas a mentor might, for a time, get very involved, but then pull back when the person, when the mentee becomes competent in an area, and vice versa. Um, now, both mentoring and counseling are both about uh, personal empowerment and helping people with skills, so that's that's pretty awesome uh, to know that. And I, I guess I wanted to talk to you both about um, the mentoring process, but first, I guess, the, the uh, thing I've noticed is, Dr. Vargas, were you you were Tyler's mentor at one point, or or still? I'm not sure. Yeah, for years now. Yeah, Have so you, continuous. I don't okay. know if he has fired me yet, <laughs> <laughs> but I, yes, I have. I I think I don't know since 2016, I believe that's where I met Tyler. We actually worked on a project together, and. Um, 
we presented at, at a conference together in 2017. That's where I learned, and I, assuming Tyler learned that we are we are compatible in working together. Also, not just as a mentor and mentee, but professionally, because I am so proud, and you know that whatever we wrote in the curriculum, it came from our, ourselves. We did not copy anyone or looked at other people's information to make our, it, it came out of our head. So, uh, and, and, and it was a very interesting uh, relationship because what I told Tyler, you are my equal here. You, you have the same um, input and if you don't agree with something or we discuss it, like don't think because I was your mentor, I'm your mentor that you have to go and agree with everything I said. So the dynamics change, but we still have a very a good relationship and I, I am so honored to see his development, you know, from the beginning um, to now, uh, he has grown a lot. And I don't know, Tyler. Yeah, I think that's something else that makes what we're working on dynamic because we have the mentor and the mentee. And our curriculum is not just for a mentor, and but it's also for the mentee. Um, and so a lot of our curriculum talks about, um, like the first section is exploring mentorship. Why, as a mentor, why are you taking on a mentee? What are you looking for in that mentee? What are, what are your motives um, same thing with a mentee, um, reflecting on um, why you're seeking a mentor. Are you going to be committed to the process? Are you going to be clear? Because um, there, I, I did do research on um, on things with mentoring um, about there were there were some studies on businesses where the mentor when they put in um, mentoring programs, there was one study where the mentoring program failed because they weren't clear. People didn't know. Um, why is this person my mentor? Um, what are they supposed to be doing? They didn't have any guidance. Um, and a lot of people, you know, when, when they're surveyed, it's, you know, they ask, do you have a mentor? And they're like, I think this person might be a mentor, but I don't know. Um, so I think communicating that's really important. Um, and being clear on boundaries, communication, um, what you're seeking. Um, and also if you have a mentor and, um, you are you're you're going in one direction being willing to reflect with your mentor and mentee mm -hmm. on whether it's working whether you're the right mentor or mentee for this person um networking is a big thing in mentoring um i mean with even with dr vargas like i've met a lot of people through him um professionally and also just other people that he's mentored um and so that's a really great benefit to mentoring um but i, th I think yeah there's definitely benefits for both and it's it's a process and um, it's not always a step-by-step -step, this, then that, then that. Um, I think there's there's a lot of benefit to having, you know, we, we line it out kind of in steps, but we also say, like, um, the more experience you have as being a mentor or a mentee, you find we have mentorship styles, you know, the way that you express mentorship, whether it's artistically, academic, um, through listening, through different ways of doing it. Um, we put a lot of guidance there, but ultimately you have to find out um, what's really going to benefit the other person and what what you're getting out of it. So yeah, it it uh, does sound like we're still in the defining stage here, and I want to ask more questions about some of that structure. One of the things that struck me, another thing, a difference between counseling and mentoring is that counseling is generally paid, mm -hmm. or at least um, funded by insurance or a nonprofit 
or an employment assistance program. Correct. And mentoring is uh, not as uh, free. There is no fee, and it, it, the only uh, cost is time and uh, coordination. So that that struck me. And then I, I thought about the field of counseling, where we have a lot of listeners out there who are therapists, that um, we have sort of some forms of supposed mentoring, which is your internship, mm-hmm. where you are supposed to be taught and guided by a director or another therapist or therapists to help you learn how to be a better therapist. Now, we've all learned from experience that sometimes you become an intern at an organization and you get a lot of mentoring and it's amazing. And you get instruction and feedback. And then other times you're kind of an intern on paper, which means that you're kind of thrown to the wolves. You don't really have a lot of guidance, and it's not clear, even if the school has written down these are the stipulations, it's not necessarily followed, but because you're a a counseling intern, you don't complain too much because you need a place to work. Um, The same thing is with supervising. So I'm a clinical supervisor of LPCs, um, licensed professional counseling people that are in their first level of license, and I've been one in Arizona for a long time at the Southwest Center for HIV and AIDS. I was their substitute one at the Shanti Group. I did that for a year and a half. And I also um, supervised a few other people in uh, Tempe, Arizona as well. And now and uh, the Michigan Clinic, I am supervising uh, limited license counselors. And in that, we actually have a whole contract about what it involves, what it, how many times we need to meet, what are the stipulations, what are we looking for, what are the forms of supervision, such as um, kind of doing the business and ethics side, the clinical side, the mentoring side, right? That's a side of it. And kind of the the personal reflection side. So how is this client affecting you? But with mentoring, there isn't always a contract involved. I've heard of Boys and Girls Club and um, things like that. Uh, What's the other one called? Uh, The one where you adopt a child sort of thing, but it's not really adopting. Foster? No, not that one. The one where... Oh, Big Brother, Big Sister. Yeah, where that's sort of a contract where you take on a child who needs a mentor, a Big Brother, Big Sister, and that has got a contract involved. And what we're talking about, and there's many forms of it, but I kind of want to talk about what what you're talking about, which is personal and professional mentoring and more of a not through an organization necessarily. Um, So there's a mentoring process that you kind of outlined here in some of the literature um, you're writing here. And you talked about... um, well, first of all, you got to choose somebody, a mentor and a mentee, and work on the relationship. Can you tell me a little bit about the process of choosing um, to be a mentor or to f- or to be a, a mentee who wants a mentor? Well, for me, Paul, I I think I have been chosen in the sense that um, <clears throat> I have had more people ask me to be their mentor than. I do have a mentor myself, I'll talk about it in a moment, but I do have a contract, but it's not a written contract, it's a exercise contract. And Tyler, you remember what that is? An exercise contract? That I do to so when someone asks me to be their mentor. You give them homework. Exactly. I give them homework. If someone says that they want a mentor or mentorship, the first step where I know they're serious is if they come back with the homework. This is different from counseling, because if the mentorship, if they don't come back with the homework, then it's a no for me until they're ready. 
versus in counseling, of course, you cannot do that. You say, okay, well, let's try again or something different. But if I'm going to invest my time in someone's life, then the person needs to first want to invest their own time for themselves, which is do the homework I give you. So Tyler got the assignment. He did not know the test. It was a test, an exam. And he got, it was an unspoken <laughs> test. It was an unspoken test. Maybe unfair, but it is my way of doing it. And, um, and but the same thing happens with my mentor. I do have a mentor for years, and he's very wise. And he um, gives me assignments in the sense of provocative thinking and, you know, get back to him with the answer or what have you. And I don't know if I learned that from him or not, but that's what I do. I give them an assignment, and that's a contract for me that they're really willing uh, and ready to invest because it's this an investment. It's time. It's a lot of energy because sometimes you as a human being, you know, you may going through your own personal situations, but then your mentee needs something, and you have to be willing to be ready for them, you know, at that time. So Right. Yeah, I, th- the reason I, s- I sought out Dr. Vargas originally for mentorship was I was at college and I was looking for opportunities to grow my resume, to just grow and, and learn about, you know, how to improve my, I guess, basically my resume and my experience at college and maybe get internships, things like that. And so, you know, I, I, met, with, I met with a couple of different people and, um, and I, I ultimately chose Dr. Vargas um, and he tested me and I... I came back, he would give me think like he'd say, watch this movie or uh, read this book or, um, you know, he gave me opportunities to work with him on projects and things like that. And so we worked together um, and there was a lot of fruit from it and I grew a lot and, you know, we connected. Um, yeah, I, I think as, as a mentee, it is important to offer some sort of value to the mentor, um, whether it could be as simple as... Um, just showing up and just, you know, um, maybe the mentor just enjoys sharing and just enjoys helping you. Um, but I, but I think, um, it's beneficial for both. It's beneficial for the mentor and the mentee. And, um, mentors can also always learn from their mentees as well. Uh, We learn from each other. Mm -hmm. It's mostly usually the mentor who teaches the mentee, but the mentor also learns through the process and grows as well. That is very good to know. I'm, I've uh, had similar experiences. Um, one of my mentors, he would just shove an article that he printed off that day across the table every time he saw me. And even literally two weeks ago, we, he's, I've been seeing him as a mentor probably for eight years, nine years now. And um, we decided to meet in the middle of COVID outside because he's a lot older. And the first thing he does is shoves an article in my hands that says, read this. Tell me what you think later this week. I said, all right. I thought we were just having coffee. But, um, you know, he, he's, he's still up on that. And uh, I have another mentor who has insisted that I, you know, grow at my practice. He says, what's the holdup? You know, why aren't you an EMDR instructor yet? Why aren't you certified yet? Why haven't you got this certification yet? And so then he'll tell me how to do it, and then I've gotten the EMDR certification, and now he wants me to become a trainer to EMDR. And then he finally, <laughs> this guy goes above and beyond. The other week he goes, uh, somebody asked me to 
to take this EMDR training job, but I couldn't. So I told them to call you, and so you have to take it. <laughs> so, so, sounds so sounds so familiar. I, I, yeah. have, a, I have a my my mentor is also a therapist. And <laughs> I have a client, but I cannot take it, so I send him over to you. <laughs> when you said that, it was just uh, sounds sounded familiar. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes the mentors, you know, we get a lot out of it. I've also mentored a lot of clinicians, and I think the hard part about that is that a lot of my clinicians are supervisees, so they have different expectations. But I've had the people that come to me that want mentoring specifically where it's unpaid and it's not me clinically evaluating them, I've had a lot, I get a lot out of that because um, it's fun for me to see them grow and say, oh my gosh, I never knew that. And, oh, I'm going to try this. And I have a, I have a mentee right now who decided after working with me for about a year, you know, in a not unpaid, you know, she, she kind of helped me, um, with some articles I was writing. And then in exchange, I gave, I let her sit in on all our, our supervision and she signed off on paper so she could learn about counseling. She's becoming a counselor. She said, I realized after working with you that I want to become a PhD. And so now they're, she's uh, applying and getting accepted to PhD programs. And she said, it wasn't just because of me, but I think partly by getting exposed to um, all the things in the clinic and learning about what we did it kind of inspired her. And I didn't even try to do that. I wasn't telling her to do that. I was just like, hey, read this article, hear about this. So I think it's fun because you get something out of it as well. And as the mentee, I mean, I'm always I'm always like, oh my gosh, I have so many assignments for my mentors this week. This is There's something going on here. So um, one of the things I want to talk about is we're talking about the relationship here. And the relationship is a process and it's a dynamic. And I think it's ongoing boundaries and ongoingly changes. Because, for instance, one of my mentors uh, is in Chicago. And when I was in Arizona full-time, I could only see him about once a year. And now that I'm in Arizona half-time, I can see him more often. I mean, COVID withstanding. Um, But, you know, sometimes it moves online and sometimes there's an issue. So we'll communicate weeks and weeks in a row. And then other times we won't talk for a month. And he'll say, what the heck? And he'll text me. "What What are you up to? Um, but we're talking about we build a structure together, and eventually it, it's a purpose-driven action. Um, what are they working on? What are you working on? How do you want to grow? Um, so can you tell me a little bit about the structure and the purpose-driven action as you both see it in the mentoring process? Yeah, so um, so we'll, do we want to start with the relation part? Or well, let's go with the relationship, relation- yeah, okay. and then into that. Sure, yeah. Um, so I, I, I definitely think a connection is important. Um, because I mean, for example, maybe you're an artistic person and you're seeking a mentor who has a similar style as you, or you're seeking someone, um, if there's no connection, um, then it's harder to benefit. And so I I think, uh, meeting with someone, it, it doesn't necessarily matter, you know, differences don't necessarily matter. Like could be different views, could be different things. But, um, if, if you don't enjoy being around that person, um, and you don't feel a connection, it's hard to stay committed. Um, and it, it really just benefits people when, when they get that connection because it's easier to learn from someone that you admire, somebody um, that you enjoy being around. Um, and so the building structure is it's, it's where um, you have to communicate a lot with your mentor and uh, make sure that you set up a structure that... Um, Basically, you you understand what your goal is as a mentee, and as a mentor, you understand um, how you're going to support this person. Yeah, it's uh, 
so when it, things change, Paul, in the sense of, like in this case with uh, Tyler and I, um, one of the reasons why we did the curriculum because Tyler wanted to write a book. <laughs> he still wants to write a book. And I said, well, why don't we start with something smaller? Because as you know, um, <laughs> it's uh, writing a book is very hard and we need... Um, so I also didn't know that I'm disclosing that right now, but that was a test also to see. I know Tyler and I know his qualities and his potential but I said well he's in California I'm in Arizona now so let's see how this works so I did it as a test and he's finding <laughs> out right now <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, it worked I mean he we made appointments and he was right on it he would um, you know like I and at the end in the f last few months I was the one that said Tyler are we meeting because I didn't put it in my calendar I've been so busy and he's the one that said, yeah, I have it on my calendar. So I know Tyler is organized. I know Tyler is logical. So I was just now kind of relying on him for uh, help me here because now I need, um, he has those qualities, I know. And so we are now talking about uh, the book. <laughs> so mm -hmm. now it has worked out and um, you know, we are very respectful one of the things I always tell Tyler and all my mentees is that I will give you my ideas, my experience, but at the end, it's your life, and you have to make your own beliefs, your own ideas, and your own experience. Um, you don't owe me anything. You know, I like for me, like I said, it's an honor to be part of their lives, but at the end, it's their lives, and they have to make up their own mind, believe what they want to believe, and who they, be who they are or who they want to be. Um, so the structure comes in the sense that uh, in life you have to have a goal, you have to have a target. And if you don't set those goals or targets, you know, it becomes just a chit-chat kind of meeting. And so, but I don't know. So yeah. goals and a target would mean maybe that there's purpose-driven action behind the mentoring. We actually have different goals, and you can obviously change them. So one of the one of my mentees who was uh, not a supervisee, mm -hmm. their goal was just to learn about psychology, learn about clinical cases, learn about um, what a group practice is like, and learn what I knew. Yes. And I said, if you want to sit in on meetings and sign this document, you can do that. And then, and then my what I need is I need some help finding uh, different references for different articles I'm writing, if, and uh, would you help me with that? And they said, sure. And so that was our agreement. I think it will probably change. Whereas a supervisee, a clinical supervisee, is a very different contract. And that's not just mentoring. That's also criticism. That's, hey, write this note differently. Um, hey, did you give this client this resource? What did you do when they were in crisis? Did you follow the protocol? I'm also kind of, in a way, I can't really be too friendly because I've got to, I've got to be evaluating them as well. And so there's a lot of ethics involved with that. But um, with my mentors that I have been a mentor, we have had various different goals um, that have changed throughout the time as they've been accomplished or we've decided to discard it. <laughs> um, one of my mentors and I were developing a program on anger 
uh, based on a book he had written. And then we realized that no one wanted to admit that they had anger. Um, so we, <laughs> that morphed into another program. And then his book on anger still sells, but I think it's honestly the partners of everyone who's angry that's buying it. It's not the people that are angry. That's what we learned is that the partners of people would call us and say, oh, will you help? And we said, well, this is for the people that are angry. So we decided against that program. And then that idea kind of morphed into my idea of the National Violence Prevention Hotline. Mm -hmm. And I've had a few mentors on that right now. And I actually have sort of an informal mentor right now in Silicon Valley who's been helping me, who's a futurist, um, Sylvia Galassur. Mm -hmm. And she's been helping me think about how a futurist would think about my mm -hmm. platform and my program to be able to present it to the government or private industry mm -hmm. um, to be able to bring it to fruition. And that's something I have never had before. So one mentor helped me think of, well, we have this violence problem. How could we work mm -hmm. on that in a national sense? And another mentor is telling me, I actually have the skills to, I've worked in Silicon Valley for 15 or whatever years. I know how to get this stuff put out there. So things change in different goals in your life. And I think it's important to have those conversations. So um, it, I wanted to hear about, you know, you got the purpose-driven action. You guys are working on the curriculum. You're then going to possibly work on the book. You worked on all these other things. Tyler's meeting people through you. You're learning from him. Uh, what about building leaders and expanding influence? Can you talk about that? <clears throat> yeah. Um, so the idea is there's when when someone's mentored. There's a couple studies. Um, it's usually around 80, 90 percent of people who have had a mentor want to be a mentor themselves so it's it's very um it's it expands like um the idea like for me um i was impacted by my first mentor and since him i've sought out many different mentors and so that would be an example of expanding influence because once you realize that there's someone who impacts you and helps you transform your life in a certain way um and helps you get towards what you're looking for, um, you want to do that for other people. And um, so I think as a mentor, you're looking for mentees that have leadership qualities, um, mentees who have the same desire to to do that for other people. And so that's, that's the last part of our section is expanding influence, and it's about building up leaders. Um, and so... And Tyler proposed a section, actually. So, you know, that was, that was his... Uh, but, Paul, I, I think as a professional counselor, as clinical supervisor also, I, um, one of the things I can say, and I now have people that are directors that I used to supervise, and one, in particular, I'm thinking a couple of people that when I took over at that particular place, um, they were still an associate counselor, but they have been an associate counselor for over six years. Exactly, and because previous supervisors, you know all the legalities and everything. They, okay, well, <clears throat> now the person, well, it's been many years ago, but the person has, of course, uh, their independent license. But one of, it's, one of the things they say every time they see me or they talk about it, they say, yeah, I was an associate counselor for so many years until he showed up. And so expanding means that to me, I'm going to talk a bit about counseling. It's, counseling to me is not a business, it's a calling. And whenever I teach or whenever I talk to mentees and you know, supervisees, I try to install the passion, the calling of myself for this field of counseling. 
And I don't see it as a business. I, of course, you can make money. There's nothing wrong with it, of course. But I don't want. I want to install the passion of helping others in the field, right? As I'm outside of my field, my profession, uh, I have many mentees that are first generation um, college attendees. They have graduated for the first time with a bachelor's degree in their the first, first person yeah, in the family. Yeah, thank you. Say my English starts and my Spanish start mixing in my head. So, <laughs> <laughs> but exactly. So, I have, um, and quite a few are doing doctorate degrees because I have allowed them to, if I can say the word, but they have expanded their mindset that oh, if you did it, why can't I? Because I'm a first generation, and I just. I'm not, I wasn't born here, so I, I'm an immigrant, first generation, college graduate with a doctorate degree. So a lot, some of these kids are born here, they have, uh, but they, no one has ever allowed them to expand their minds to, it's possible. And so I, expanding to me is like, they're not living a legacy, or my legacy, they're living their own lives and their own legacy, but they have, I have, um, show them a different way, you know. I and think a lot of it's modeling too. It could be, yeah. Right? Like social learning and just the impact of modeling for someone that something's possible yeah. that they might not think is possible for them. But once they see that you can do it mm -hmm. and then you mentor that person, you don't even have to directly tell them what to do. But if you're an example of what they're trying to attain, mm -hmm. um, that can encourage them a lot and they might build confidence and self-esteem right. in themselves and what they're doing. Yeah. So in a way, um, mentoring can really lift somebody up in their mindset. Um, if they haven't had people in their life who told them you can do it, you can do something, you can accomplish something. Maybe they've had negative bullies in their life or teachers that told them they couldn't be something. Then as a mentor, you say, well, wait, why? So as a mentor, as a counselor, we always say, People come in saying, there's something wrong with me. I am a problem. I'm a problem. I'm a problem. I have problems. And we call that shame and labeling, which is, which is uh, coming from their environment or people in their lives have labeled them that or they've made a mistake and then somebody said, well, you're the, you're the reason that happened and, and they don't take in the whole picture. Now, we all make mistakes, but humans are capable of uh, learning, of growing, if given the right conditions, just like an animal. And uh, we have the ability, just like if I bring my little fish to a bigger fish tank, it's going to grow bigger. Mm -hmm. But it, so if my mindset is like a small fish tank, I'm never going to grow. I'm just going to do my little thing and eat my little fish food. But if I, if I go to a bigger city, like when I moved to Chicago, which was a bigger city than I had grown up in, which I grew up in a medium-sized city, but I will, all of a sudden... I realized, wow, I'm kind of a small fish here, but I, I sought out mentors. I sought out learning, and I realized, oh, wow, I actually can hang with this. I can, if I push myself, if I work harder, and then I move to Phoenix, which is even, well, Phoenix is still about the same size as Chicago, but but I, anyway, uh, the, the I feel like the mental health system here is better than Chicago's uh, overall, especially the state system here, is a lot more coordinated and has a lot better um, teaching for the clinicians. So I learned, I had to step my game up even further. I thought, wow, I was doing pretty good in Chicago, but Phoenix, wow, people are even more educated here uh, in terms of the mental health, at least. So I think that that's a huge part of it is that it can expand your mindset. 
and in exposing to new things. And I think that's an important thing to know for if you're a mentee, if you're a mentee out there looking for a mentor, you know, especially being a young person in your teens or 20s, um, one of the symptoms of being that old is, according to uh, brain psychology and Eric Erickson's stages of development, is egocentrism. So you think you you think because your brain has not developed enough that you do know everything, which you don't. You you don't even know anything about yourself, but it's it's also a false bravado. It's our ego. It's all that. So the mentor, if they're a wise mentor with the Socratic method, like you said, they're not telling you what to do. We're just asking questions. What do you want to do? Have you heard of this? Have you heard of that? We're trying to expand the person's horizons as the mentor, so that they can then grow and not be stunted, because they think they already know something. So um, I want to talk next about. If you have comments on that, but I, I want to go to that. But I want to know how do you become a mentor? <clears throat> well, becoming a mentor generally, it's it has to do when you have expertise in an area, and you've you've gotten to a point where you're able to teach that expertise to someone else. Because you know it's one thing to know something, but teaching shows that you really know something, right? And um, after you get to the point where you are an expert in that area. And you're willing to take on other people and share that knowledge, that experience. It could be, you know, generativity, you're older and you just want to share your life experiences. You have a lot to give. You want to create a legacy. Um, Maybe you just have a heart for people and you really are trying to impact people. Um, But really it starts when someone chooses you. Um, You know, you're a mentor once someone chooses you to mentor them. And... um, it's a pretty simple definition, but it's it's very, you know, that's that's what it is. Yeah, <clears throat> and I want to go back, Paul, a little bit to talk about these mentees that are first generation. Because <clears throat> a lot of them actually chose me because of that. Because they, uh, and a lot of them are Hispanic, you know. Uh, so, and what they have said is to see a Hispanic person, you know, they came from a different country. Like I said, many of them are born here, but. They still can relate. I still can relate. They can relate to me. And the limitations sometimes come within the culture. You know, in my culture, the Mexican culture, there's sometimes a lack of understanding of the educational system. So a person graduates with a bachelor's degree, then uh, in let's say in Mexico, people can actually do a lot more than they can do here with a bachelor's degree. So their parents start telling them, well, why can't you just get a job? Why do you have to study more, mm-hmm. you know, to start helping the family? Because, again, family is number one in my culture, right? And <clears throat> the idea of getting a master's or doctor degree is not even discussed. So I come in and start talking to them about this possibility. And I, I have a story of a kid that, well, he's not a kid anymore. He's like 25 now or so. Um, <clears throat> but he came from a family that was very dysfunctional, and he's like the only one out of the whole family, all his siblings, that didn't get in trouble with the law <laughs> and who um, got bullied by his siblings uh, because he was attending college, and now he's getting a doctorate. I won't say much, but needless to say, I text him every month. I make sure I'm content. He texts me back, and when he came in December, he came to visit me, and we chat because one of the things I tell him, I will see you graduate with your doctorate, you know, because it was challenging. Um, 
he attended a school that closed down, <laughs> fortunately, completely. And yes, and then on his own accord, he made a plan to move out of state to complete his doctorate. So I knew that because then I felt like, did I push him too much? Did I, you know, put him in a path that he wasn't ready for? But no, he actually, I, I got the answer when he came and said, this is my plan. What do you think? I was like, oops. Thank you, God, that he, <laughs> I didn't push him too much. He was ready. And uh, so I, I think, like Tyler said, you know, you are chosen. Somebody comes and asks you. But I, like I said, I do give him a test. Now that everybody knows my test, I had to create a new one. You need a new test. <laughs> no. I had to create secrets a new out. One. Exactly. My secret's out. But I, I had many that never came back with a homework. And that's okay because they were not ready for, mentor, for a mentor. But mentorship, it's so powerful. Um, Tyler is the research guy. He did all the research. But. Well, I think one of the things that's hardest for people, just from me talking to people too, and, you know, like they, the hardest part for a lot of people is just the confidence to seek out a mentor. Um, they might say, like, where do I look? Who do I talk to? You know, does this person have time for me? I think it's difficult um, for, for a mentee. And also maybe a mentor is uncomfortable asking a mentee, um, you know, what do you, what, what should I say? You know, will they be, um, will they feel disrespected if I, you know, offer, like, do they feel like maybe they know it all or whatever? Um, and so I, I think, you know, just some practical advice too, is just to like ask because more people want mentors than actually seek them out. Uh, most people would like guidance or would like someone to guide them and mentor them. But a lot of people don't actually go for it and ask. And I, I think, um, even even if you just ask people around, I mean, you want you want someone preferably that you know not not necessarily a peer because that's more of a friendship. But when you're seeking out a mentor, you could ask your peers, um, do you know someone who has ex like expertise in this area or knowledge about this? Or you know, the way I found Dr. Vargas was I literally just emailed people at the school and I was I just said who would be willing to talk to me about opportunities in psychology. Um, and I ended up getting to him as the assistant dean of psychology, of humanity, and social sciences, and um, and it ended up working out. But I, I met with multiple people because I was I was asking around. I was I was you know I, I wanted a mentor and I wanted to learn more, even if it was just if someone you know even if he didn't want to be my consistent mentor, like oh maybe I could learn something from him. Um, you might have a couple of people you talk to, and they that maybe they don't want to mentor you, maybe they do, um, but just going out there. And maybe they direct you to someone else. They're like, oh, I know someone who, you know, has a lot of experience with that or someone who has a heart for that. And they could talk to you about that. And, um, and as a mentor, um, finding those opportunities to be a mentor as well. Um, like for me, it's in the church. And it's pretty easy to get um, to be a mentor in the church because people are looking for that in groups, high school groups, things like that. Um, when I was at college, I was a mentor to my residents because I was an RA. I was a resident assistant. And um, a lot of the residents don't want to talk to you because you're their RA. They want to avoid you at all costs. But then <laughs> there, there's still some who, you know, go to you and ask. Like, I was in the freshman dorms, and they were like, oh, man, like, what club should I join? Or, like, you know, what, what activity should I do? Or, like, how do I pass my classes? How do I study? Um, I, I started building a website as a resident assistant for things you should bring to college. Things ended up not pursuing that anymore. But... Um, for a little bit, I had that up, but I didn't want to keep the domain name up, but I it helped some people out. Um, but yeah, I, I think there were just some people who were just drawn to me and would just come to my room and ask me questions and we would go work out at the gym. We would go do stuff, go hiking. And then I would help connect them to different clubs. 
And so I, I think really you could be a mentor or mentee anywhere as long as you have something to offer and you can connect the people around you. So and, Yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say in counseling, you would agree with this, boy. I think. Um, in counseling, we need mentors to mentor those who want to do private practice. I would say we need mentors who have done private practice and have been successful <laughs> to coach or to mentor those new counselors they want to launch into private practice because as you know paul uh grad school doesn't teach us how to be a clinician or therapist in private practice and we all learn it by error <laughs> trial and error so having i know i have gone to you paul about things and you have been very gracious and given me but you know we're friends but i know now that um i get new Sometimes therapists say, hey, I'm thinking about going into private practice. How do I, what do I do? What's the first step? So there's opportunities to mentor in many areas, professionally, personally, academically, uh, and um, I don't know, in sports, and many opportunities, there's just many opportunities to invest. But it is an investment, it is a commitment, because I have to be available for my mentee or my, uh, you know, whenever they need the support. Because like it is like we say, it's not a paid relationship. It's there's ethics, and I guess Tyler can talk to you about my ethics. He kind of I now they're different because he's in a different stage in his life, and I am, you know, we no longer had a previous relationship, so the ethics have changed. But there's still respect and ethics, you know, boundaries that have to be in place. Those I think must be in place. They're different than in counseling, of course, because these are not mandated by any bore any state these are more of um just being a human being and being respectful to each other i guess but you know yeah so i agree um i think that in the counseling field there needs to be more of that uh there's definitely a lot of marketing that you can pay to learn how to be in private practice but uh that's not i'm not selling that that's i just see that on the internet all the time um and uh, so why is it important to have a mentor? Well, a couple of the things I've been learning from you and what you kind of were writing in the literature was we're social learning. Uh, we're learning through a relationship. We're learning from somebody who has expertise in an area, who has wisdom, who has done things. They're usually older than us. Um, we want to be connected to other people. And if you're in a university like you, Tyler, I mean, you can go to class, you can go to the professors, you can go to the clubs, and then you met my friends, but you aren't maybe don't have somebody helping you guide guide you through it. I know we're supposed to have these people are called advisors, but they usually just tell you um, what classes to take to get your degree. So um, if you really want to learn about your career and what the opportunities are, I mean, I think uh, that's one thing a colleges and universities really need to improve is getting people with real world experience who've been in some sort of field to uh, teach a class or become a, a professional mentor, I think would be a useful thing. I think that, that we need this in high schools and, and elementary schools. Um, and it's a tough thing uh, because you're right, it's not mandated, it's not regulated. And there's people in roles as teachers, but if a teacher's so busy, then they have no time, they're overstretched, or, or a here, here I am, a clinical director, I like, I like having mentees, but I don't find my time having much time for more than one at a time, because 
I, I have to put my clients first. I have that relationship. That's a contract. I have to put my clinicians first because I'm supervising them and I've got to be available. Like today, somebody emailed me and they said, not an emergency, but need an answer soon. And I needed to... <laughs> I needed to write them back immediately because it had to do with um, a type of paperwork that w- can we release this type of letter? Can you write that type of letter? What kind of evaluation? And they needed to know that, and I needed to be available for that. So um, I think that there's a lot of value in becoming a mentor because then, you, but you also you get you as a mentor you life isn't about just winning and achieving and amassing wealth. Anyone who thinks that is usually quite miserable because once they get there, they get to the goal. It's like, okay, now what? I guess just get more. So it's about giving back. And when you give back, as they said, it's better to give than to receive. And it's true because it feels better when you're giving gifts versus if you just get everything you want all the time. So, you know, being a mentor is giving back, but in that you get rewarded by the satisfaction of seeing something you, you, someone you've helped make a big difference. So it's like the ripple effect. Um, You know, for instance, when I was a mentee to one of my uh, mentors that is still in my life now, they said, um, you're in private practice, when are you going to become a clinical director? And I said, I don't want to be a clinical director. I don't have time for that. I don't want to, I don't know if I want to do that. It's such a pain, all this paperwork, all these problems. And, and sure enough, five years later, I'm a clinical director. So, uh, you know, they kind of saw that potential in me and they tried it. They kind of mm-hmm. kept chiding me to, to try it. So um, now you guys have already kind of answered this question, but I want to, uh, and, and so I want to just get comments on it, but how do we choose a mentor? We, we talked about that. We say people choose you, but if I'm going to look for a mentor as a mentee, I need to look for somebody with expertise. A big one we kind of touched on is they need to be a trustworthy person. We don't want them to be taking advantage of us or some sort of weird thing like that. Correct. Willingness to invest in our time. We've got to have some type of formal discussion about it. It doesn't have to be a contract. We want that person, we, they, they need to see the potential in us, okay? Yes. Um, that's important. You've talked about that. They need to be willing to challenge you. It looks like, Dr. Vargas, that's one of your first things you do is challenge your mentees, which is good. <laughs> um, and I think I do the same because I feel like, well, if, if you want my time, Exactly. I, I think that you should be working on stuff and not just depending on me for every piece of guidance. Correct. And the positives outweigh the negatives. So what does that mean? I, I saw that you wrote that in your paper. What is? Can you explain me what that means and maybe comment a bit more on this? Yeah, so the idea behind that is that um, you choose a mentor or a mentee, and um, if the negatives outweigh the benefits, that's not a good choice, right? So if if I'm choosing a mentor and um, they have, maybe they have expertise, maybe they're the best at something, but um, as the mentee, maybe they're putting me down or maybe they're, uh, you know, not respecting my boundaries or my time, um, then for me to force myself into that mentoring relationship, it, it wouldn't be worth it because um, the negatives are outweighing the positives. So it's, it's mostly just a practical thing to consider. You might not think about it, but something to reflect on is, you know, when I choose my mentors, um, I'm, I'm putting a commitment into this, right, on both sides. And so just making sure that, and we have some, we have different worksheets in our, in our curriculum, um, questions and things to go over in different stages of the process, but um, just to really 
decide what you want out of this process, if this person's a good fit, um, and even as the mentor, seeing if you're a good fit for this person in what they're looking for, if you can truly support this person, if you can truly feed this person what they need. Um, and yeah. So I, I remember something about Tyler, if I may share nothing personal, don't worry. But um, it's that when he would come, you know, when he was a student still, I remember one time he said, you always cheer me up. But that wasn't my goal. That my goal wasn't to make you feel better. But but I did was focus on the strengths, his strengths. Uh, like what strengths do you have that can help you with the, whatever situation was happening, right? And the strengths usually are positive. I I don't think there's a negative strengths. <laughs> They're usually positive. So I would look at, uh, you know, let's talk about your strengths. And I got that from my mentor because my mentor still remembers. He was my teacher when I used to present. PowerPoints, and he says, you were so clear, right to the point. I don't even remember any of that, but he keeps reminding me. <laughs> so I remember because he, he just reminded me like two weeks ago, <laughs> we, we met. And that, believe me, feels good. So I don't even think his goal is for me to feel happy. Maybe he's trying to just strengthen my skills, but I, it makes me feel good. So like Tyler said, if your mentor focuses on your negative and, and, and doesn't make you see life in a different way and, and you come out the same or worse, that it's kind of like, you know, is this really working? Because you have to assess that is this really working for me. And the other thing I want to say is that if you choose a mentor for a particular reason, um, there has to be respect, like I said, there has to be ethics, there has to be boundaries, and the mentee, uh, I'm sorry, the mentor takes you in a different direction where you don't want to go. You need to say something and say, you know, maybe this is not working. So when Tyler and I used to get together for project or he was doing, wanted to talk to me about something, I would say, Tyler, let's just go have fun, let's go have lunch, let's go have... No, we will address his needs, right? Um, and I, I do think that there has to be uh, boundaries, very set and respected, uh, because, yeah, you may become friends, but that doesn't mean that, um, you know, it, it, the relationship has to be what the mentee needs. Right. And so, not that there's no yeah. constructive criticism, because that's oh, important yeah. in growth. <laughs> but, um, but definitely a big strength of having a mentor is pinpointing what areas of life that you're strong in and that you're doing well in. And maybe your mentor sees something in you that you don't even realize, or, you know, people can see things that you don't notice about yourself. And that's one of the reasons why mentoring accelerates your growth because you can think about those things and process things that you wouldn't necessarily process on your own. And uh, I think there's something that came to mind in my brain visually while you were describing the, the possible negatives of a mentor who's too critical. It reminded me of the drill sergeant. So if you're in the army, you know, the, this is, of course, a stereotype. But, you know, from some of these movies I've watched, like Full Metal Jacket, the guy is screaming in your face about what a terrible person you are. And that's supposed to motivate you to do more push-ups and clean the whole mess hall with the toothbrush. And you, little worm, and you don't have any muscles and hurry it up. And then at the end of boot camp, you're into a, you know, you finally got your muscles and you've got your discipline. And... Um, 
I think, you know, maybe that has worked in the army and I'm not going to comment on that, but uh, I think mentoring should not be like that. We don't want a drill sergeant for mentor. We want a a wise person who's willing to listen, ask questions, respect you, focus on the strengths, which is very important. I think um, one of the biggest differences, and I know, no, I don't know if you realize this, but Arizona and California, Oregon and Washington, all of their state mental health systems focus on strength base. Uh, That's in the uh, AZDHS, um, some of their curriculum they put out. It's all about strengths. And believe it or not, um, I don't believe, well, you you will believe it, but there are places in the country, especially in the Midwest, where strength-based is not the paradigm. It is pathology-based. So, you know, the, this person's thinking wrong, they're doing it wrong, and that's shame-based, and that even goes back into um, probably cultural differences. So, in the Midwest, Calvinism is big, and John Calvin believed that people were the worst things ever, and if they didn't, you know, come to the church, they were terrible monsters, where in the West Coast here, it seems a bit more not Calvinist. I don't know what theologic theological underpinnings are here, but it seems to be much more like, you know, positivity. Um, how can we help you become a better person? How can you, you know, do that? And that, and I, I bring that up not to, to bring up religion, but as to more say like religion as underpinnings as a huge influence on the culture. And I, and I think I see that the difference here in the West Coast thinking, all right, what are your strengths? What can you do right? And when you focus on that, the, the behaviors, the negative behaviors, and the things that maybe people were doing that weren't so well, they usually start to fade. You know, and so as a mentor, you're going, hey, you're doing this right, you're doing this right, you're doing this right. Instead of saying, well, why are you sleeping in so much? Why didn't you get this book read? Why did you take two weeks to read the book? That's a negative approach versus going, hey, what's going on? You know, you started to read that book. What happened? You told me you've been late to classes a few times. What's going on? Asking the question. So that person, the person knows that they didn't, you know, maybe do what it is right. So the mentor's goal is not to tell you, but to ask questions because you are the one who needs to tell yourself. This is your life as the mentee. This is your career. And the mentor is there as a guide because they've already probably made a lot of the mistakes that you've made. Correct. And mistakes, if we remember social learning theory, is how we learn. <laughs> we have to try stuff. It's not just theoretical. It's in sports. I mean, think about sports is the easiest example. Yeah. You start off when you're a little kid, you are in T-ball. You know, the ball is on a tee and you hit it and you start to learn the rules, but you screw up like a million times, but you don't remember because you're like a little kid. And then you go into softball and then you go into baseball and then you're pitching. And little by little, you didn't know it, but your brain is being trained to learn the game of baseball. Mm-hmm. Right. And in soccer, I remember the first time I was on a soccer team uh, and I was playing and, and this new kid came to the soccer team uh-huh. and immediately picked up the ball with his hands. And we said, you can't do that. You're not the goalie. You can't do that. You can't pick up the ball. And he's like, what? And you, have to, you can only use your feet. You know, <laughs> this is like the fundamental thing to soccer. But, you know, he learned by making a mistake. And then we were nice about it because we were his teammates. We're like, just don't touch the ball. We don't want to get offside or whatever mm-hmm. penalty kick. I don't know. Whatever you get, the, yeah, the throw in yeah, or whatever penalty. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, we're learning socially. And so the hard part is like, you know, as a mentee, as a mentor, people are going to make mistakes. And how do I, how do I give them constructive feedback? Because they already feel probably not good about making said mistake. They know they made a mistake. How do I build them up and say, hey, it's okay. This mistake is human. To err is human, right? Who said that? Shakespeare? To err is human, essentially, um, meaning that we always make mistakes and we miss the mark and we make errors. The issue is 
how do you now then not label yourself and just go, okay, well, how do I fix this mistake? How do I, how do I work through it? Can you tell me a little bit about that? I want Paul and you just touching so many subjects. Oh I yeah, think that's we're true. Whatever one like you want. Three hours, okay? <laughs> uh, well, I want to share my belief system real quick. I believe that you are part of me and I'm part of you. And if you believe in a God, that God, you come from God, then God is in you and God is in me. So we're part of the same mm-hmm. material. Tyler and I have a little different views on religion, but there's something that is between us, and that's respect. And him and I can talk about our views, but we don't. I don't push him on him, and he doesn't push him on me. Because I always tell them, you have to be yourself. You have to believe what you want to believe. And... I don't know how or anyone can think that criticizing someone, putting someone down can be beneficial for anyone. It just doesn't fit in my head, right? So because I am part of you, you're part of me, I would treat you with respect and I would, do, I would try and attempt to do the best for you. Because I'm, as I do something for you, I'm doing it for myself. That's kind of what I believe. And so... How do you support someone when they make a mistake by not, not judging them? You said something really important because you have the experience of making mistakes. So if you know that that hurts, why are you going to inflict conflict, not conflict, suffering in someone when they're going through the process that you went through already? Does that make sense? Yes. So I got to know Tyler so good in the sense of how do I recognize when something's bad with you? How do I recognize how do I tell you what's wrong with you? How does, how does he criticize yeah, you? How, no, question. not criticize oh. you. How do I recognize when something's wrong you with you? You look at my face. Usually uh, you can uh, tell. He tells me like, oh, I can tell like, you know, by there's my face. Something, and that's, how I, tell, got, that's right. how I got to know him. And, and there's other men who are very straightforward. They just come and say, I, this is what happened. <laughs> but, and whenever they share a mistake, I listen. I say, okay, well, what, what did you learn? What, what do you need from me? Mm-hmm. How can I support you? Yes, I don't go right. like I told you, or you should have known better, or any of that, because that's a negative. Why? Why do I want someone to tell me that? That doesn't help at all. Would you want someone to tell you I love you versus uh, you're you're dumb or something like that? Of course, exactly right. You want someone to. So, I'm very passionate about respecting other people and also uplifting people because that's again when I uplift you I'm uplifting myself so that's my belief so it's a oh, growth great. mindset right um, and that's something that a lot of people talk about is the growth mindset of like you were saying failure way to success right um, like it takes failure to succeed um, I think the biggest failure is not taking the risk that could bring you to your goal I mean you have to weigh you know risks and make sure they're safe risks but um you know being willing to say when i fail i'm not a failure um i just failed right now and now i can fail 10 more times and the 11th time i'll make it right every major artist every um scientist who created something new failed many times and i think people don't always talk about their failures they try to put up Oh, look at my successes, right? Especially with like social media and things like that. People are very focused on, I'm going to put out here this picture of me at a birthday party where we did nothing, but we're going to make it look like it was the best birthday party ever. (laughs) You know, we had so much fun, best day ever. But, you know, I think we try to do that with our accomplishments too. And um, I think, you know, it's important to understand like 
nobody's perfect. Like even the people who make it, um, make mistakes. They, you know, and having that, um, view that it's just a part of the process. Failure is just a part of the process. And, um, it's a good thing. It's, it's like an accomplishment because it, it shows that you're, you're putting yourself through the process and you're doing it. Um, like for me, I, I used to tell myself, I, I put my first album out there, right? And I just did that recently. Um, I used to tell myself I'm never going to pursue music because I've, I've always loved music um, ever since I was younger. But I told myself I'm not going to focus on music. I'm not going to focus on I write poetry. I'm not going to focus on my poetry. Um, I need to only focus on stuff that's going to make me successful. It's going to make me a lot of money. Um, and so I, throughout high school, I avoided it. Um, nope, I, I'm going to maybe play music once in a while, you know, but... It wasn't until the last couple of years ago where I realized, you know what, like I, I reflected on what I wanted and I reflected on my life, what I was trying to get out of it. And one of the major things for me is creativity. And so I allowed myself to say, I'm going to, I'm going to go for music. And so first I taught myself how to do it. And then I, I got a producer software, had no clue how to use it, went on YouTube, learned, practiced, made, you know, maybe 20, 30 songs. Um, and I, I always had that feeling in me that was like, man, I'm not good enough yet. I need to maybe take a class first or I need to, you know, be perfect before I can put this out. But I, I just taught myself how to do it. I recorded it, uh, made some songs, posted them, and then figured out how to put it on platforms like Spotify and iTunes and things like that. And so I finally put something out. Even when I was posting it, I was like, man, it's not perfect. It's not, you know, there's still, hmm. maybe I could have done this or that, but, you know, I put it out there and because you know, now I put this out here, if I continue to do the same thing I was doing, I'm just going to keep getting better. And so I think instilling that mindset in yourself and then also people that you mentor and letting them know like, hey, um, I noticed that you're really, like he always tells me I'm going to thrive in the arts. You know, he always <laughs> tells me that because I show him maybe a poem I wrote or something and he always encourages that. But um, for me, if I have a mentee um, and they could be science. They really love science. And I could just tell them like, Hey, like, you know, what are you working on? And they could say, well, I'm working on this project. Um, I don't really like sharing it because it's not that good. I could just say something like, wow. Like, you know, I remember the last thing you showed me, like, this is such an improvement. Like, you know, you're, you're continuing to grow. Like, I think you should pursue it. Right. And just giving them that, that feedback and letting them know, like, story, personal stories about your failures and what you're doing and how you're overcoming that and things that you've learned and people love stories about failure you know well yeah because i think we're surrounded by so many finished products that it's hard for people to younger people to understand how things are made and so um i think it's important to know that everything starts as a mess and i think mentoring as a process instead of some sort of uh, i guess some sort of formula uh as a process is a mess you, you're not sure where it's going. We have certain parameters, but we have to sort of work it out and see what becomes of it. And I would say that um, when I started be, be, being mentored, I had no idea where it would lead. I had ideas. None of those ideas came true. Different ones did. Better ones did. And when I've, when I've men mentored people myself, I have seen incredible things happen that I didn't know were going to happen. And I, you know, these people, they, and I'm not saying I did it or whatever, or I influenced, who knows, but just watching the, their growth pattern in their life was so gratifying. So I think 
um, what I'm learning here is a lot to summarize, but um, it sounds like one of the points of this is intentional mentoring and having a growth mindset. And I don't mean growth in terms of money, but growth in terms of growing as a person. Um, And so I feel like we've covered a lot of it. I want to know, is there any advice you would give to a mentee or a mentor out there who wants to get started, who's not done this before? Well, all I can say is that I believe all of us have something to share with someone else. All of us can influence. I think we all influence each other. So there's someone out there who can use your expertise, who can use um, your understanding and your support. Uh, I would um, say venture and see if someone is in need of a support. There are a lot of young people right now, unfortunately, that do not know what to do with their lives, their careers, you know, their maybe business or what have you. So be the change, you know, that you want in life. We want to make this world a better world, but we need to support each other because it is in us. The answer is within us and it's in us. And I think uh, connecting with another human being to be a mentor, I'm talking from the mentor side more than anything, but also if you're a mentee and you need um, someone to, like, maybe knows how to use technology and you don't know, they ask, hey, will you mind mentoring me, you know, in that process? And you may learn more that the person can teach you than what you think. So that's what I would say. Right. Yeah, I would I would say another thing. We, we sort of talked about it, but um, not not a lot, is consistency as well. Like we were talking about, you know, sometimes too much structure is bad and sometimes not enough structure can cause problems and confusion. Um, but I think consistency is one of those things that really benefits, like me and Dr. Vargas have been meeting like every week for over a year at least, mm-hmm. um, working on our curriculum, working on things. So, um, you know, that really keeps, keeps things going, keeps things growing, keeps you accountable. Um, and, uh, I, I would say, um, that it's, I would definitely recommend having a mentor and being a mentor and, if you're if you're really of the mindset of growing and developing, um, I I can't think of anything that's helped me more than mentoring, on both sides. Because even being a mentor keeps me accountable with what I'm doing in my life. You know, when I I've noticed for myself, it's it's almost like uh, for my personal growth, having mentees reminds me that I hold myself to a certain standard that I. Um, reminds me to care about people. It reminds me to continue to grow and learn so that I have something to teach them. Um, if, if they have a specific area that they're, that they need for me, then I, I continue to stay up to date in that area and I continue to, it just helps me grow. And then having a mentor and mentors definitely continues to do that for me as well. So I, yeah, I definitely recommend it and think it's impacted me greatly. Well, guys, it sounds like uh, hopefully we're inspiring some people to become mentors or mentees. And I guess what I would say is I'm going to put something in the show notes, maybe about how to contact you. Um, I'm assuming you're going to be trying to publish this soon. Uh, and then I'll update it when it's published, put it out there. Anything we can, any links we can put out there for the people at home? Yeah, we have an email. Um, our email right now is gv, letters g, v, um, dot, 
intentional.mentorship at gmail.com. Okay, cool. I'll put that in the notes for sure. So people are interested in learning more about your paper or your forthcoming uh, curriculum, uh, they can contact you there. And I think then um, Dr. Vargas is in private practice here in Phoenix, Arizona, and that contact will be in the show notes as well. So, Well, thank you, Paul. We really appreciate your invite. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. There you have it. This has been another episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast with Paul Krause. I will have the contact for Dr. Noe Vargas and Tyler Gannett in the show notes below. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm wishing you all a safe and peaceful week. If you are looking for an Emdria consultant, I am now an Emdria consultant in training and can provide 15 of the 20 hours needed to become an Emdria certified therapist. I have an Emdria consultation group currently running on Wednesdays online. For details, check out counselingsupervisorgr.com or healthforlifegr.com or just send me an email. If you are in need of counseling, do not hesitate to make an appointment with a local counselor in your area. You can also make an appointment with the excellent clinicians in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area at Health for Life Grand Rapids and the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids by visiting www.healthforlifegr.com or giving them a call at 616-200-4433. Thanks to technology, if you are in the state of Michigan and are looking for online counseling, any of the clinicians in the Grand Rapids area at Health for Life Grand Rapids or the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids can work with you. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Krause and his guests, and while these are based upon the literature they have read and their experience in their respective fields, this should not be viewed as a definitive opinion on this or any other subject. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you are in a crisis, please dial 911 or the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Are you a young person of color feeling down, stressed out, or overwhelmed? Text Steve, that's Steve, S-T-E-V-E, to 741-741, and a live trained crisis counselor will respond. That's 741-741 via text. Did you know you can support your local bookstore without leaving the house by visiting www.bookshop.org? That's bookshop.org. You can order online. And while you do have to pay for shipping, you will be supporting local bookstores near you that have brick-and-mortar places for us to gather post-pandemic. So please consider using bookshop.org for your next book purchase. If you are a mental health provider, please join your local and or national organizations. Especially, I believe it's important to join your local organization. For instance, the Arizona Counseling Association in Arizona is currently fighting a ridiculous house bill that would allow people that are not therapists to claim that they are. Not good. Please get involved. Of course, the American Counseling Association and the American Mental Health Counselors Association are both lobbying at the federal level 
to help counselors be able to take Medicare insurance, which should have been done about 15 years ago when we first started lobbying, or maybe it was before then. But we could use your help. If you're not a mental health professional, please consider sending $50 or $100 a year to one of these organizations. Uh, Currently, um, the Michigan Mental Health Counselors Association is working to increase the availability of quality mental health services statewide, increasing education among the populace, promoting best practices, and working to keep licensed professional counselors and other professionals accessible by the public. You can learn more about them at their website, which will be in the show notes below. Again, this is Paul Krause of the Intentional Clinician Podcast, and I thank you for your time and for listening.